Welcome to TRC Talks, a podcast by The Reynolds Company, an authorized distributor for Rockwell Automation. This show features conversations with the automation specialists from The Reynolds Company, explaining the evolving landscape of products, services, and solutions for industrial controls and automation. Welcome back to TRC Talks. This is Brad Freeman, and this week's episode is on one of my favorite topics, industrial cybersecurity. I had the privilege to be in the room and record this conversation between two of the best resources that we have in this space, Brandon Singh with The Reynolds Company and Chad Humphreys with Rockwell Automation. Their conversation focused on critical infrastructure, how it is defined by the federal government, and how that is impacting the world of industrial cybersecurity. I highly recommend that you look at our show notes today. Brandon and Chad referenced several executive orders, pieces of legislation, and organizations which are all important to this discussion, and we will have links to all of that information available. Outside of today's podcast, we also have a user group webinar coming up quickly. The topic will be on modernization with a virtual session running Wednesday, July 20th, and then an in-person event at our Houston office on Thursday, July 21st. Links to sign up for that event are also in the show notes, and a recording of the event will be available on the Reynolds YouTube channel if you are not able to view it live. As always, thank you so much for listening, and please enjoy today's discussion of cybersecurity and critical infrastructure. Cybersecurity podcast. I've done a, a series of these before, the past are four of them. Uh, so, some of the information we'll touch on as far as uh, some framework and cybersecurity best practices are covered there. But here today, uh, I have a guest with me, uh, Chad Humphreys, who's the Network Cybersecurity Solutions Consultant with Rockwell Automation. We are going to be talking about critical infrastructure from the governmental standpoint of how the government defines critical infrastructure, the different sectors, uh, and the different things that are going on currently in the in today's climate as far as cybersecurity awareness and infrastructure changes based on the multitude of attacks that have penetrated some very large customers and that are becoming widely more on the public scale. Chad, thank you for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. So to uh, as I said, you're the cybersecurity solutions consultant with Rockwell. Just tell us a little bit about your background before we dive in. Oh, sure. So I've been in the industrial data space for about 17 years. Um, in my role with, with uh, Rockwell, I focus heavily on standards and uh, even federal cyber policy. So I have uh, I have several of the IEC 62443 certifications, working on a cybersecurity-focused law degree at the moment, and just trying to do my part to become more familiar with what's going on at a federal level for critical infrastructure. So when we, when we say federal level and critical infrastructure, what we mean by that is back in 2013, former President uh, Barack Obama uh, signed a bill in that defined critical infrastructure into 16 sectors, 
whether you're publicly held company or you're still a private company, all the manufacturing that goes on kind of falls into one of these 16 sectors. Uh, and they range from chemical space to commercial facility to critical manufacturing to the energy sector, food and bev, financial services, transportation, water waste, water, just to name a few. There are 16 of them. And so, you know, that's where we are now is in terms of how the government defines the critical infrastructure. Now, within that critical infrastructure, there's been a lot of changes going on recently since they were developed and adopted back in 2013. Right, right. Yeah, and when you think about, um, you know, nine years ago uh, when uh, President Obama, uh, it's called Executive Order uh, 13636. If any of you would like more information on it, we'll be glad to provide it for you. But uh, essentially it was around improving critical infrastructure, cybersecurity, and it kicked off what we call Presidential Policy Directive 21, right? So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, referencing those 16 different uh, sections. But I think the, the federal government acknowledged a strong need for taking a standards-based approach to uh, reducing the cyber attack surface across institutions that underpin the American way of life. You'll see that, that term commonly used in executive orders. This was established nine years ago. Recently, the Biden administration went to the Senate and Congress and you know asked for two trillion dollars to help fortify the backbone and bring up to date a lot of these critical infrastructures uh, through federal grant money. So he went to the Senate and asked for that. Now he did not get the full two trillion. He ended up getting one point two, and he's dividing that money out amongst the sixteen critical critical infrastructure sectors and the, the three primary ones that you know that he's focusing on currently are water wastewater transportation systems and the energy sector now that's not to say that they're getting all the money that was you know awarded that is you know it is out um, and we can provide the link for you where it kind of breaks down a summary of how much each sectors will have available to uh, to them but those were the, the big three that he went to bat with as far as you know, this is why we need the money. The reason being was why he went to those three was some very unfortunate events. Uh, one of them being, you know, Oldsmar, Florida. That's why he, you know, with the ransomware attack they had, that's why he, he picked the water wastewater sector. Up in Oklahoma, right outside Oklahoma City last summer, the city got locked down for an entire weekend, which is why he went transportation sector. Um, and so he, he kind of took those major attacks as his, standpoint to kind of ask for this money, but it's going to be divided up between all 16 critical infrastructure sites. Yeah, absolutely. So $1.2 trillion um, appropriated uh, over 10 years. He initially, you know, he swung for the fence. He asked for $2 trillion appropriated over eight years, but this was the, uh, the happy medium between the Biden administration and, and essentially Congress. Moving forward with this, you know, uh, what would be really helpful for all of us to understand is that this is kicking off a lot of funding at the federal level, uh, such as preparedness grants. The preparedness grants and, you know, a lot of the preparedness grants, you know, we can, we'll be posting the links um, in the show notes for, you know, where you could get assistance with applying for some of those grants or to read up on more of it. But a lot of this, you know, what they're fighting for, what's going after, all stems from executive order that President Biden signed uh, back in May of 21. Now, executive order 14028, uh, which was uh, improving the nation's cybersecurity. Um, and then since then, there's been a lot of other bills that have 
been uh, set up and put in front of Congress, uh, one of them being S.2491, and then another one that was recently passed by the Senate, which was S.3600, which is uh, all about strengthening the American cybersecurity. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, my, my take on this is that, um, you know, what we do in, in terms of, you know, cyber system hardening is becoming ever more important in terms of, you know, the strategies we adopt, ideally take a NIST, you know, CSF or a standards-based approach to securing your environment and, and prepare yourself to, uh, to be, uh, you know, share your strategy uh, with the federal government and even, you know, the, uh, the financial markets because, a lot of these, uh, you know, directives, executive orders are really designed to eliminate, uh, you know, barriers to information sharing between critical infrastructure and the federal government, and again, Wall Street. Right. Right, and, and as you as you talk about that information sharing, portions of these bills that are written in is terms of timeliness of how you you report that you were a victim of an incident, the amount of money that was paid, if any, was paid what type of damage was done. That is a part of, you know, the, the bill specifically that is part of S.3600, uh, which did pass the Senate. It is in front of the House right now, and it, it is part of some deliberations, discussions that's going on. But another portion of that, you know, another part of that is just expanding upon what's already been in place. The Sarbanes-Oxley Act, also known as SOX, you know, that was already put in place. But this you know, some of these bills just kind of expand upon that as far as your fiduciary obligations to, you know, your, your shareholders, if you're publicly, publicly traded about as incidences and, you know, what kind of damage it cost. And then as far as if you're, you know, you're privately held, that's where some of these bills are going to come into effect of, you know, being open to the government in a timely fashion of what happened, how did it happen, and what were the damages afflicted by it. Yeah, you know, a great point on this is um, three months ago um, in, you know, March 2022, President Biden uh, codified what we call the Cyber Incident Reporting Act. And so, again, think of this as, you know, who does this apply to? It applies to institutions that underpin the American way of life, a.k.a. critical infrastructure. So with that, um, you know, you don't necessarily even have to be publicly traded, but if you suffer a cyber incident, that impacts, you know, your community, consumers, um, it, it's now required by law that, that that has to be disclosed to the federal government uh, within 72 hours of occurrence. Now, Sarbanes-Oxley, to your point, yeah, absolutely. You know, there was an addendum to the Sarbanes-Oxley Act back in 2016 that now includes specific cybersecurity uh, provisions within it. So if you are a publicly traded company, and again, if you're critical infrastructure and you suffer a cyber incident, uh, you now have 48 hours to disclose that to the Securities and Exchange Commission. And we have good reason to believe, based on uh, information that the Securities and Exchange Commission has already uh, posted on their site. Well, again, we'll be glad to share this information for you for reference. Uh, but we have, you know, every reason to believe that from a um, from a uh, governance perspective that the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to do their part to protect investor uh, rights around cybersecurity. And so um, my uh, personal opinion uh, for, for any company out there that is looking to protect itself, you know, whether it be from system hardening or even, uh, you know, protecting yourself from the possibility of uh, cyber derivative lawsuits, it's really important to 
uh, adopt a standard. And since our federal government is using the NIST CSF framework, I think it's a really pragmatic approach to, you know, uh, not only securing your environment, but, you know, sending the right messaging to the marketplace as well. So NIST CSF is really important. I agree. NIST CSF, which is, you know, the NIST cybersecurity framework, um, that's what the CF is, is just an overall standard. And I've I've touched on it in previous podcasts, and we'll have that and a a link so you can go back and listen to that where, you know, we've, we've gone further in depth breaking down the five different sections of that framework and how to apply it. But if you are applying you know, a NIST CFF in conjunction with, you know, an, an ISO 2701, those, you know, that those things there kind of match and meet up with what the government um, and the Senate and all these different executive orders and these bills, that, you know, that are being passed and, you know, are being discussed kind of align with. It's also being head up by CISA, uh, the cybersecurity um, agency, it's a department within the Department of Homeland Security, so it's kind of a subsector of that. And that's where, you know, a lot of this is being derived and kind of guided out of. They're the ones who are, so to speak, helping implement these acts as well as writing the rules and the framework around it. And they lean really heavily on the NIST uh, CFF and kind of use that as the guideline for everything that they're, that they're doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's really understand that, important for people to understand that, you know, these, these strategies at the federal level have been brewing for quite a while. Um, you know, when you look at uh, another group called the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, uh, they've been working on policy recommendations for Congress for months. And you can even go to websites such as the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and important people such as retired Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery, who is the head of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, he has uh, posted a number of articles on the, uh, the Foundations of Democracy website uh, citing the economic challenges that are plaguing certain critical infrastructure sectors, especially water, wastewater. Um, so we have every reason to believe, you know, like you said, with you know, the infrastructure bill and, and Biden's plan, you know, including uh, water, we have every reason to believe that based on, on, on what information that's been out there for a while, that uh, this is very likely going to happen in the not so distant future. And you brought up cybersecurity solarium, and that organization was derived and built off of a lot of what's going on in the executive orders, and, and some of the, they work in collaboration and hand in hand with CISA, um, who's being led right now by Jen Easterly, and she's been very public over the last eighteen months about you know the changes that need to be done and and how things you know. Are going to look in, in terms of the future um, and how critical infrastructure needs to be, you know, ramped up and, and updated in terms of, you know, being more secure. Just because the the U.S. as a whole, in some recent SANS surveys, have found that the U.S. is a, one of the leading, if not the leading, country in you know cybersecurity attacks, and a bulk of those attacks, uh, somewhere between twenty and thirty percent, are in the manufacturing critical infrastructure space. So, you know, there's an old saying that Chad and I, when, you know, we're working together, let's say, we, you know, critical infrastructure manufacturing was, was secure because it was 
I'm sorry, trying to remember how to phrase it correctly. Chad, help me out. Security through obscurity. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, those those days feel like they're definitely over, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. No, the, the uh, Sands Institute, you know, a wonderful nonprofit research you know, institute, has been around for 33 years. Uh, recently, put out some some intel that uh, between say January 2020 and two months ago, um, there were roughly 4,800 uh, ransomware extortion type cyber incidents globally. 49% of those were against the United States in, in, in various you know, sectors, uh, not just the manufacturing space. Uh, when I broke this down and, and kind of really tried to understand um, you know, exactly uh, the number of cyber incidents that were, say, ransomware extortion related between January 2020, May 2022, so we're talking about, what, a 29-month period, there were over 540 uh, ransomware extortion-focused cyber incidents uh, in the United States against the manufacturing heavy industrial critical infrastructure sectors. So, yeah, it largely feels like this concept of it's it's not it's not if it's when actually applies. You know, there's been other um, you know publications that have kind of shown uh, even prior to the Sands research that. This trend has been around for a good 15, 16 years, unfortunately. You know, for whatever reason, the United States is, is the primary you know, target right now for cybercrime. It is unfortunate, but think of the positive aspect of the last you know, 18, 21 months, as you said, that you know, these incidents have taken place. Within that same time frame, the government is trying to respond to it. That's when a yep. lot of these executive orders and a lot of these you know, the, the petition for the grant money that Biden did with Congress, a lot of these have been occurring on the same timeline. So as we are uh, trying to ramp up and, and get our infrastructure to a point where things, you know, can, you know, we can feel more secure about it, at the same time, threat agencies are trying to do the same thing. I think, you know, it's important to understand that as the number of incidents, you know, ramp up, Again, it's not if, it's when. You know, that's why we're seeing specific you know, pieces of legislation like, like you know, referred to earlier as Senate Bill 2491. Uh, it's, it's basically as proposed, uh, it's a, it will be an addendum to the Homeland Security Act of 2002. It will establish what we call the National Cyber Resilience Assistance Fund specifically for uh, important critical infrastructure. Uh, so we know that based on you know what CISA has already published and what the uh, the Obama administration published back in 2013, there are 16 different critical infrastructure sectors. So um, you know I wouldn't want to begin to speculate today exactly. Hey, you know these specific 16 branches they're going to get this amount of money. I think that those um, those elements of of this whole fund are still being sorted out. But like you mentioned. You know, we know that water, wastewater, transportation, energy, they're, they're going to get a, a good bulk of the funding. Uh, so it's important to just, you know, be mindful of these different pieces of legislation and even their, their timing, you know, as far as when they'll be codified into, into law. So uh, we'll be glad to provide this information to you uh, for reference and, and answer any questions on this moving forward. But, you know, the, the concept of adopting a, a standards-based approach 
to securing your environment. Think of any piece of electronics that you buy. You know, you'll, you could very likely look on it and you'll see a UL certification on there. In so many aspects of our life, if it's technology, uh, and it's about securing that technology, adoption of a standards-based approach. In this case, you know, with our federal government and what they're writing, NIST CSF. Uh, is, is good insurance, you know, protection, uh, you know, should a cyber incident happen. You want to be able to convey that, that you're doing everything in your power to address the vulnerabilities that exist in your network environments. And that could be whether it's an IT network, an OT network, address the vulnerabilities that you have, send the right messaging, you know, to the marketplace uh, that you're doing everything in your power to reduce your cyber attack surface. That framework, you know, the NIST CSF, you know, as we keep bringing up, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. That's a standard that is applied and used. Um, and if you look at other cybersecurity standards that are, are out there, whether that be IEC 62443, or if you're looking at ISO 2701 or 27001, and then you compare that to you know the NIST CSF, the wording is different. But if you look at what each section and how it's laid out, it's almost identical to you know implementing one uh, over the other they're very they're very identical they're very seamless in where everything kind of builds off that NIST CSF and that's why it's always referenced in most of the literature that's out there as far as you know the bills that are in congress the executive orders anything that Jen Easterly from CISA says they all reference the same thing and they all kind of build off that same thing yeah, and I, I think it's important on this subject of the NIST CSF, you know, you think of, of when this framework was put in place, it's addressing data in various use cases, right? So if we're talking about industrial data, OT data, um, I think it's important to familiarize ourselves, with, especially with a couple of special publications under that NIST CSF framework. One of uh, these that I think is a great starting point is Special Publication 800-82 Rev 3. Uh, this is a, if you look up this document, it's publicly available. Uh, it's over 300 pages, very comprehensive, uh, but it'll give you a, a, a good understanding of, you know, what should ideally be step one, two, three, four, five, et cetera. But even within that special publication, it references other globally recognized standards such as IEC 62443. And I think just personal observation, uh, anecdotal, if you will, um, I feel like these a lot of these standards uh, use similar vernacular around the specific countermeasures that you can use uh, and deploy in your environments. You know, some of the basic things such as data encryption, access control, how do I reduce, you know, data flow? You know, and, but specifically with the, the 882 Rev3 uh, special publication, that's for industrial control systems. That's for heavy, that's industrial data, right? Uh, there, there are a couple of others notable special publication 800-53 uh, Rev5. That's also a very important one for industrial data. And even um, 800, special publication 800-171. Uh, so those, those would be my recommendations to you on if, if you're going to look at three of those that are applicable to industrial data, start with those. I absolutely agree, uh, especially with 82. Um, as Chad mentioned, it's on Rev 3 uh, that was released uh, about three or four months ago, first quarter of 22. So we'll provide the link to that. Again, you know, this it's a free publication. This is, you know not an organization where, I mean, it's a free download. It's 800 pages, or I'm sorry, 300 pages, 
but to, to Chad and I, that's kind of our daily reading. I mean, you know, yeah. we, we, we enjoy reading things like that. Not everyone you know out there is going to want to read all you know 300 pages of it. Essentially, you know, understanding what the NIST is, and as I said, I know there's, there's an earlier episode where I deep dive NIST. It just takes the overall NIST framework and just applies it to operational technology uh, for manufacturing. With that, I mean, this is this as I said as I said coming into the intro. This is just you know a general overview of critical infrastructure and how you know the government sees it. And I think we've kind of hit all the highlights. We will have future episodes where we will deep dive you know the different topics and aspects we've brought up. I know for one uh, that Chad and I are both you know very passionate about that we're going to probably deep dive here soon would be S.3600, the current government bill that, that recently passed the Senate, uh, because that all has to do with you know fiduciary obligations as far as readiness and timelines and the 48 hours to turn over information to both not only the government, but also your fiduciary obligation to your shareholders um, and how that how that applies and moving forward as, as well as the preparedness grants. So we'll be deep, as I said, we'll be deep diving all these different uh, aspects and topic um, in future episodes. Thank you for listening. And Chad, thank you for coming in today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of TRC Talks. For support, please see our website, reynoldsonline.com. And for those who are outside of our area, please visit rockwellautomation.com and you can find your authorized local distributor there. Check our show notes for links on how to contact our team and to see our upcoming webinars. TRC Talks is produced and hosted by Wayne Welk and Brad Freeman of the Reynolds Company. Editing and mixing for this episode were by Brad Freeman. Today's guest host was Brandon Singh, and today's guest was Chad Humphreys. Thank you again, and we'll see you in the next episode.